Hey, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer based in New York City. I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actor and producer also living in New York City. And And we are Positive Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with artists from all disciplines about how they got their start, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in the entertainment industry. We speak with artists based in New York, L.A., and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to share their experiences and talk about their work. We hope that our listeners will enjoy the insights, stories, and perspectives from a diverse group of artists from all sides of the industry. Thanks for listening. Sammy Lopez is a Broadway producer with P3 Productions, currently developing Gun and Powder, How to Dance in Ohio, which is upcoming at Syracuse Stage in fall of 2022, and more. He is the resident director of New York Children's Theater, a co-founder of the Industry Standard Group, TISG, and teaches for the business of Broadway. In this episode, we talked about having a healthier relationship with social media and the importance of setting boundaries. We also loved hearing Sammy's story of becoming a producer and director, and how his experience growing up seeing theater in Los Angeles with his grandmother inspired his passions and many roles in the arts. We also discussed the major changes he's helping to implement through his work with TSIG, and he did an amazing job breaking down the nuts and bolts of how to produce a Broadway show. This is such an enlightening conversation, and you can tell that even through a screen, Sammy lights up a room with his warmth and knowledge. Happy listening. Welcome, Sammy. Hi, yes, I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to chat with you today. So our first question for you is, what is currently inspiring you? Oh, you know, I was on a walk with my dog a few months ago, and I've been really inspired by nature lately. And, you know, as when I started just noticing the beauty of nature and how it constantly reminds us that change is good and change is inevitable and change is supposed to happen, and looking at, you know, the trees with no leaves on them in Riverside Park, and then now cut to this morning and I was walking through Riverside Park and all of the cherry blossom trees were like bloomed and stunning and gorgeous. It was, it's just a constant reminder because, you know, walking a dog feels like a daily task that can seem mindless, but I've been trying to have more intention on those walks and just taking in nature and taking in, um, you know, this earth that reminds us of, uh, you know, the power of life and how, how it we're supposed to change and you know so I think lately that's been a lot on my mind it's just you know how do we take more time to just pause and look around and especially in this city when it feels like the city being New York City feels like it's um, a constant uh, go it's like we're constantly on and I think lately as the Broadway theater industry has reopened it's felt like we've been shot out of a cannon. And so I'm finding those moments in life to pause and to just take in um, what's happening around us and allowing breath, (laughs) which is hard, (laughs) but, but I I find those dog walk moments to be my mini sanctuary of the day. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so relatable. I mean, Alyssa and I both have dogs Mm -hmm. and (laughs) as we were talking, I was, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Walking our dog Latka. I've started to like go for longer walks lately and dare to leave my phone at home for like an hour, which is kind of sad that that's like crazy to me. But it is such a wonderful way to just disconnect and take your eyes off of a screen like all the communication, so much of it these days is virtual. So it's, yeah, I totally hear you. That's such a nice kind of like refresh moment in the day. Exactly. I mean, it's so hard because, you know, I wake up and I try really hard to not uh, 
look at my phone first thing, but it's like the, it's the most tempting thing. And also because I, so much of my work requires, um, you know, to be in the digital space to check on all of the social media platforms or um, various, you know, types of apps that we utilize in our company. And I'm like, you know, just, just reminding myself to start with that breath and not allowing my phone to be the first thing I do <laughs> is a constant. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. That's so funny. I was just thinking how first thing when I wake up too, it's like, okay, try not to look at the phone, but then I always meditate in the morning. And of course that's an app. So I'm like, oh gosh, I have to turn on my phone and like course scroll through all the things before you get yes. to the app. Ugh. Exactly. It is. It's such a give and take. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, the best thing that I ever did, I haven't been doing it lately. I've definitely been falling asleep watching TV on my phone and then waking up and looking right at my phone and checking emails. But um, for a long time, I was leaving my phone outside of my bedroom when I slept. So um, that was really great because you just wake up and your phone's not even there. <laughs> Um, and then I always start my day with a workout and I was finding that I was actually not looking at my phone for like the first hour and a half or so that I was awake, which is, I mean, I guess technically my workout was on my iPad, um, but, (laughs) but there's no social media, which I think is the, for me, the main problem of like waking up and immediately checking the apps and email. So, um, this conversation is making me want to do that again. Because it's, yeah, those moments of like, just being and appreciating, I, you know, you were talking about the outdoors being on a walk, and appreciating the nature around you, which nature can be hard to come by in the city, or just like me even being able to like make a cup of coffee or go to a yoga class without first checking emails and being bombarded with all of the things that have to be done for the day. It's it's so important. Um, It's an important conversation. I know. I, so I was working in social media for nine years um, up until the pandemic. And uh, since then I've, I've started like kind of looking at like, what is my process and what, you know, what was I doing that I don't want to bring into this kind of, part or phase two of my social media career, I like to say. And I've been building a class um, about building your social media strategy for the business of Broadway. And the the first thing that I realized that I wanted to bring into the classroom was this idea of boundaries and our and setting ourselves with boundaries within social media and the way that we allow social media into our life and we are in control of it. It's so it's, it's like that element of like, you know, how you start with meditation. It's like finding that mindfulness within our social media uh, habits, I think is something that I'm also bringing into my day to day. It's like, damn, I am so, uh, you know, I rely so much on this screen. It's, it's finding the times to be like, no, I, I actually don't need this at this moment. You know, when I sit down to read a script, I can turn my phone on do not disturb and just allow myself to escape into the script. And, you know, it's, you know, that's one example of ways that I'm like trying to turn off. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. I don't think I've, I've ever heard that talked about because like as, as actors, like Alyssa and I both are, I feel like there's kind of a basic like business of acting kind of, you know, training you go through at one point or another. And I've never heard anybody talk. I've only heard about like, build up your social media presence, like be on Instagram, let people know X, Y, and Z. But it's really nice to hear this idea of no, actually, the boundaries and kind of the healthy relationship with Mm -hmm. social media. That's so important. Yeah. And doing all of that is is valuable. And and it is, um, I think, important for creating a career now it's like you you need to have that digital presence but i always think it's it's um it there's this industry pressure about it that mm-hmm. that i would love to alleviate and just allow everybody to believe that their social media presence is what they want it to be and it it's no one else's you know it's we we are empowered to build 
our relationship with social media in the way that we want to. Yeah. Amazing. That is so beautiful. I'm very inspired by what you said. Um, because personally, I either delete everything and don't go on it for a few days because I'm working on something specific that I have to get done, writing a script. I don't want to be distracted. Um, and then I'm on it and no boundaries at all. And I wonder, I feel like your class would be so useful for me personally because I would love to be able to just have it all the time, but always have boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I can't even engage with this thing for three days, you know? Right. Totally. Um, um, and we, of course, we had Heather Shields, who I met the yes. same time I met you. We had her on the podcast last season, and she's so wonderful. So um, that's really exciting to hear that you're teaching at the Business of Broadway. Yes, I love Heather. We call ourselves Bobsies. So the Business of Broadway, we're fellow Bobsies. <laughs> and um, Heather was actually um, in one of the first office producing offices that I worked in on Broadway. And so Heather and I went through a lot of exciting moments in our careers together for the first time, which was, it's it just so amazing that now we, we are working together again in this new capacity and um, now looking at it from a place of, you know, how do we, um, how do we explain what we do as producers, but, in a, in a way that we want to operate now. And so acknowledging the system that currently exists while simultaneously interrogating the system that currently exists. Yes. Yes. So amazing. So that brings us into our next question, which is what is your story? You do so many amazing things. You are a Broadway producer. How did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I constantly... <laughs> ask myself the same question of certain rooms that I'm in. I'm like, how did I freaking get here? I'm a kid from LA who (laughs) really knew I wanted to work in theater and on Broadway before I had even left the state of California. So it's, you know, it's, um, I think a a lot of it stemmed from my abuelita and the way that um, my household was as a kid, you know, music and uh, storytelling was baked into our family DNA. You know, at holidays, um, we would always jump into a jam session in the living room where my dad played the keyboard, my brother played drums, my other brother played congas, my sister would dance, I would sing. And it was kind of just like a, a thing that was in our family. But my abuelita was the one that really taught me about going to see theater. And so I always, um, I always knew of the arts in a way of, you know, whether it be at community events or church or, um, you know, being in the living room with family. But Abuelita took me to see operas and plays and musicals. And um, she was so instrumental in teaching me about the ritual of going to theater and reading what's what's new in the newspaper for events and you know there's um Alvera Street in uh downtown Los Angeles and there's this gazebo there and as a kid she would take me to this gazebo and like in an instant like flamenco dancers would appear and there people would gather around this gazebo and that image to me is kind of the inspiration for what I strive to do as a producer and I think why I've ended up being a commercial theater producer specifically is, you know, I want to build opportunity for communities to come together and gather and experience something in the same space that, you know, is inspired from empathy and, you know, communion and wanting to, you know, have shared like shared emotion with other people that we've never met before. It's, that was what was so exciting to me. So I think when, you know, when I think about my producing career, it really goes back to my abuelita. And, um, and so I, you know, everything that's led that that's in between there, it's kind of been um, inspired from like what I learned in improv class of the yes. And, and just like saying yes and figuring it out. You know, I, um, kind of fell into producing um, while I was in college. Uh, I I got involved with a student-run theater organization, and 
uh, really loved um, creating opportunities for my classmates to build shows and understand the the classmates who were into directing and offering them space to create their you know vision in the black box theater and working with all of the designers and actors it was it it allowed me to to find my place in specifically in my theater department and then after uh, i left syracuse university where i went um i was planning to do a summer stock gig um, as an actor and I ultimately broke my ankle like three days before the contract was going to start and um, I was like oh great so I don't have anything to do this summer now and uh, simultaneously on Facebook Messenger um, one of my friends who was working in general management at the New York Musical Theater Festival Jacob Harvey he we were like messaging. I was like, "Ugh, I broke my ankle. Like, I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, we're actually looking for a general management intern this summer for Nymph. Um, we produce 30 new musicals in 30 days and we do 15 concerts. We're going to be doing a, two big events. And, uh, you know, if, if you're down, I'll set you up in an interview with my boss. And so literally like later that day, I had an interview uh, on like a Thursday and then I was in New York working with a boot on my ankle and crutches. And I was in New York City on Monday. And um, I started that internship and it was such a whirlwind, but it taught me so much about the industry and and specifically, you know, festivals are its own beast. <laughs> and so I, I learned a lot really quickly that summer. And it was kind of, uh, you know, uh, it, it allowed me to uh, see how my work in an education setting could transfer directly to a professional setting. And um, simultaneously at that time, Instagram was just coming out and a lot of these shows needed um, support selling their shows. And I was the intern and I was like, I love Instagram. I, I think we can post about your shows on Instagram. So I built the, an Instagram account for a bunch of different shows. And that really got me started into my social media career. And I was kind of living this dual path of, you know, building social media strategy for shows while also learning about the business through the lens of general management. And then that led me to uh, working into a commercial theater producer's office. And that's where I really learned the nuts and bolts of what it means to bring a show together from the ground up. Um, I started working uh, on a play called Mothers and Sons that was on Broadway by Terrence McNally. And they needed playbill inserts for something. And so I taught myself Photoshop. So a lot of a lot of my opportunity came from people asking the question and I just said yes and figured it out. So um, fast forward to, to now. And so I think that's uh, a long-winded yet brief version of, of, of where, I, where I am today on this call. Wow. Oh my goodness. What a journey. And it's like, this is again, Alyssa and I, this is our favorite part of the podcast is hearing people's journeys. And I just like, I love how, there were these potential kind of obstacles or roadblocks in the way, like spraining your ankle. You're like, oh no, right? But like how that just kind of leads to these other paths and opportunities and all of that over the course of like a decade or so, right? Like just to see from the beginning to where you are now is so cool. Um, I also know somewhere in the mix there too, I was looking on your website, you're, you also are a director, correct? Yes. Yes. Wow. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that too, or if that's something you're still also pursuing? Yes, I am. And I actually recently got a new position where I'm the first resident director of New York city children's theater. And so when within directing specifically, I direct theater for young audiences work. So pieces that are intended for, uh, the very young. And, you know, a lot of that passion comes from the fact that my mom's a kindergarten teacher. And yeah. uh, so I grew up in this very, very um, thoughtful and education based 
uh, home where my everything was a learning opportunity. And so it kind of like, it, it's like ingrained in my head almost where I, I see some, uh, hear about a story or I read something and I think about the education partnerships in, instantly. <laughs> and so, so TYA has just been um, a big passion of mine since I was a kid. And then in college at Syracuse, and another opportunity I had was to do the children's tour where we um, uh, performed, it was like a four person cast and we got up at like five in the morning and then we drove to an upstate New York school, unloaded the van, put the show together, did two performances, packed everything up, got back to school by like one o'clock and then jumped right back into classes. Oh, wow. So I, so I did that for a semester and uh, that was where I, discovered the power of theater for young audiences in a sense of um, theater for young audiences that is intentionally developed and recognizing the responsibility we have to introduce theater goers at such a young age. Um, You know, that, that is um, my goal as a, a theater director for young audiences is how do we responsibly tell stories that will be our, uh, what that will inspire our future audience members, but also our future performers or our future directors, our future producers or other theater makers. I think there's um, there's been a lot of uh, data collection over the last few years about the types of stories that are developed for young people. And, you know, I, I'm excited to bring my work to New York City Children's Theater to specifically address that data that we've learned and how we bring more BIPOC stories or BIPOC-centered stories to uh, to the landscape of TYA. And um, so I, you know, in addition to my producing and social media, um, you know, my directing hat goes on uh, specifically for TYA, but I, I feel like they're all connected. And the source of all of that is really um, the power of language and how do we use language online and social media strategy? How do we use language as producers to build um, build meaningful relationship and therefore it would lead to meaningful productions? And then how do we use language through, you know, inspiring young people in, in shows that I'm directing and developing? So um, it feels sometimes that they are like all from <laughs> totally different parts of the brain, but to me, like they really are symbiotic with each other. Um, and I, I love, I, I love the ability to like swap out hats in any given moment. That's amazing. That is all so beautiful. Um, I just, I love that. And you know, you know, because you were inspired to go into theater based on your experiences as a child, that the impact that you're making now is going to be long lasting for many of these kids, even if they don't choose to go into theater or entertainment as a profession, these experiences, the stories that they're learning or participating in or seeing whatever it is, are is going to impact their lives. So that is really amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. And I just constantly think when I look at shows that are coming up or that are being developed, you know, as long as I'm bringing the right people to the table in in a sense of, you know, focusing on authenticity and authenticity in the way that we um, not just think about the cast that's on stage, but for the players making the play, you know, it's, it's looking at the whole uh, ecosystem of a production is something that I, that I really love. um, And that I, I really hope continues to just um, uh, deepen in my work as, as more come together, because obviously mistakes and blind spots always are going to happen, but it's like how we react to those blind spots or how we, we react to those mistakes. Like, you know, I'm, I always want to be a producer that owns up to my mistake, but I also want to own up to the fact that I will do everything I can to not repeat that mistake. And so, you know, how do we, how do we just inspire that type of transparency? And um, it's definitely something that comes to mind in, in these various roles that I play uh, in entertainment. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, so juicy. So much good stuff there. Um, and I would love to hear now about the industry standard group um, mm. because it, it just sounds like a lot of, yeah, just all, all of the work that you're doing sort of, I guess, has le- led you there. And it's so amazing. And I think um, it would be so cool to talk about. Yes. So the industry standard group and our acronym is TISG. Um, you know, we came together in the pandemic in June of 2020 after the racial reckoning and events of the world. We, you know, eight BIPOC producers found each other on Zoom and we, you know, created this shared space to grieve, to uh reimagine and to really think about the ways that we have been participating in this industry. And I had never had that opportunity before, you know, working on Broadway pre 2020, pre the shutdown, I was likely one of the few people of color in any given space, um, specifically working on marketing strategies for Broadway shows. You know, we had weekly marketing meetings where I was at times the only person of color in that room and not being able to name that or not being able to digest what that feeling was until I was finally at a pause and we were forced to take a look at our practices as theater makers. And um, I was in this Zoom room with seven other incredibly talented producers of color. We all just looked at each other and we were like, what What do we do? And And just because we're producers and we didn't really know what the answer was, we just started to look at the data. And so we uh, went through the productions that happened in the 2018-2019 Broadway season. And we identified all of the investors and all of the producers to our knowledge who uh, and how they identified and just collected data for, for each production. And what we learned from that data is that 93.6% of the producers of that season identified as white. And so, so we, you know, looking at that, we, we just kind of all talked about like, well, what are the barriers? Like, why does this data exist in the way that it does? And um, to me, you know, it, it came to the idea of the invitation. And I just don't think that many BIPOC investors or co-producers have been invited to the table of a Broadway production before. And you know, we, we, you know, then took that question a, a layer deeper and we were like, well, what, it, what, it, what is that? Like, what is the answer to that? Like, and as we were looking at, you know, the agreements and the laws of, of what it would be like to become an investor, there's this level of needing to be accredited and, um, you know, having accredited investors on Broadway, having to be invited to be a producer on a show as a, or invest in a show, you know, it's all goes down to network. And so, you know, our goal with the industry standard group is to address uh, that question in a bunch of different ways. Um, So our, our overall goal is to really increase the presence of BIPOC investors and producers on Broadway And so through that, we're looking at ways to create access. So how do we lower that accreditation threshold of entry and create new opportunities uh, that we've been working with SEC lawyers (laughs) a lot over the last two years, (laughs) but um, working with SEC lawyers to reimagine the actual financial barriers to entry. Um, So breaking through what that access means. And then also partnering with established lead producers that currently operate on Broadway that align with our ethos. And, and, you know, they're helping us create pathways to become a part of their shows. And so, um, you know, access and then support is another key uh, word that we constantly talk about is how do we support professional development and the knowledge of um, encouraging more producing, you know, um, producers were like our own CEOs. Like we're all many startup companies. We all, you know, are, are just trying to do the thing. 
Um, but we constantly don't talk to each other about the thing. It's like, you know, roadblocks or successes or areas of growth. It's like, we, we don't share that information. And so with the industry standard group, we're hoping to build a network where, where all we do is share the information. All we do is provide transparency and, you know, experience and, um, and then lastly is disruption. It's, you know, the, the key of, I think, uh, getting towards change in our industry is, is identifying the spaces where there needs some disruption, where there needs some, um, you know, questioning of why certain processes happen in certain ways, you know? So I think it's, um, it's a, a lot of <laughs> varying, um, big ideas we have, but ultimately we're here to just increase, um, in, increase the way that BIPOC producers have been invited to the table. Um, and we've been working hard over the last two and a half years to create a new financial tool that will introduce alternative ways to co-produce on Broadway. And uh, we're getting very close to figuring out the finishing touches of it. And we're hoping to launch um, in in the summer or early fall uh, to then begin participating um, in uh, Broadway shows in likely the 20, uh, 23, 24 season. So we're really excited about it. Wow. That's amazing. That's wow. So and I guess I didn't realize it's, that the industry standard group only started in 20, June of 2020. For some reason, I thought that it had been formed. I don't know what time is anymore either. Like, I don't think any of us know what time is anymore, but I'm like, wow. So it took a global pandemic and like this kind of racial reckoning for people to be able to kind of realize something is wrong <laughs> with mm-hmm. the industry, the way, and just, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, that's, that's really, it sounds really encouraging and inspiring to, to hear about this big kind of change that will happen within within the year. Thanks. And, you know, I think another thing I want to just highlight for one of our big missions of the Industry Santa Group is to give people or to offer people the opportunity to see themselves as investors if they haven't before, you know, though those that are working in the industry, but in different departments, such as in the costume department or in the front of house or those folks that have a, that have dedicated their lives to something yet rarely get the opportunity to see the financial reward of their dedication because they don't have a stake in the production. And so, you know, through the industry Santa group, we hope that, all artists or all people that, you know, love Broadway can, can see themselves as worthy of being an investor or co-producer. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's not just offering an invitation, but it's offering the ability to, uh, to know that you belong in the room, you know? Yeah, that's really amazing. And what I appreciate about everything you're saying is, you know, obviously over the last couple of years, we have talked so much about how there needs to be change in the industry. Changes needs to happen. Uh, we've talked about it so much on this podcast alone, but you're actually taking action steps, huge action steps, um, and to make that happen. And then you are going to be able to see, for lack of a better way to put it, the fruits of your labor. You know, you're actually in that 2023, 2024 season. That's really inspiring um, to actually be laying the groundwork for what is going to be the change on Broadway. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been very intentional in the work that we're doing with the industry Santa group because so many organizations have cropped up in the last two years, which is amazing. And we want to uplift all of those organizations, which is why we're really staying in our lane of focusing on investing and co-producing on Broadway, because we want to be able to be in coalition with these other organizations to, you know, so we all, all all votes rise in this scenario. It's like, we, like, uh, we're 
leaving the idea of scarcity mindset behind us and we're entering into the mindset of abundance. And so it's like, how do we work together? And that that's what's really exciting to me. It's, you know, and and we want to be transparent about this this um, system that we're creating because it would be amazing if this is replicated or if other people want to do this with their individual shows. It's mm. We're trying to be as open about this process so that it can inspire other folks to see their window of change in their community or whatever, mm-hmm. um, whatever uh, area, you know, cause I, I constantly uh, don't want to just think of creating change in theater on Broadway because it is an ecosystem. It's like, how, how could a local community theater um, take some of the tools from the industry standard group to produce work in, you know, in in my hometown of Pasadena, California, you know, it's like, how do we um, inspire local change in addition to at the commercial theater level on Broadway? That's, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so important. Um, And so I'm curious, because you said you're focusing on co-producing and investing. We talked about this on Heather's episode, just how there's such a lack of understanding about what it means to be a Broadway producer and what producing Broadway actually looks like. Are you able to give us sort of a, a rundown of, you know, the producer versus um, a co-producer versus a producer versus an investor? What does that look like on Broadway specifically? Absolutely. So I think, you know, in terms of, uh, lead producers on Broadway, they're the the individuals that um, if you open up your Broadway playbill and you look at that paragraph of names above the title, they're usually the first, second, or third uh, names listed in that paragraph, meaning they're the lead producers or the general partners of the business. So they really are the CEOs. They make the day-to-day decisions. They take the biggest risk. They're the ones whose... um, whose business is on the line financially and, you know, kind of runs, runs across the board of every decision. These are the folks that make it. And then if we think of it like a little waterfall effect, so at the top of that waterfall is the, the general partners, then they enlist a group of folks called co-producers. And so, you know, let's say um, just to be um, just to make it easy in terms of numbers, you know, we have a $10 million show that the lead producers agree to raise, co-producers help them reach that $10 million capitalization. And so, um, you know, for, for each um, co-producer, they then get their own investors. So it's kind of like the waterfall mm-hmm. continues to fall down so that the investors are the folks that have to be incre- accredited investors to then, um, uh, you know, invest at a certain threshold into uh, their co with their co-producer, and then their co-producer then um, gets that perk from the lead producer's share of their profits. So it's um, if if that uh, if that kind of breakdown makes sense, and and you know, I've been speaking about accreditation, and you know, the SEC, um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, they. Uh, have a definition of, you know, accredit- accreditation can mean, you know, income, uh, professional, uh, you know, uh, like if, if they've made investments before and, and net worth. So, you know, does the income have at least, you know, 200,000 or 300,000 um, if combined with your spouse? And so that, that level of income needs to be sustained from year to year. Um, they have to have a net worth of a million or more. And so, you know, there's, and don't quote me on those definitions, because there's, if you take a quick Google, they're online, but um, they, you know, having, having that type of financial barrier, while it is extremely important to, um, to, to know that your investment is coming from someone that, that can take that risk, I, I, I believe that there are alternative ways to fundraising, um, you know, by just saying that, you know, you can only take from accredited investors leaves out a big pool of folks that um, have other sources of income that um, might 
might not be um, as straightforward as some of the typical investors that um, that come into Broadway shows. And something I like to say um, that I actually stole from one of my friends, uh, Dale Mott, who's an amazing producer, um, he said, you know, there's a lot of usual suspects who co-produce or invest on Broadway, and I'm interested in the unusual suspects. And so... So I love that, and I, I um, think you know, in the makeup of um, of the producers kind of uh, kind of model of you know the lead producer, co-producers, and investors. You know, the lead producers are are the ones who can really implement change within their own companies because we are individual CEOs. So you know, you're the ones that are sourcing your co-producers, and so you know. I'm interested in being a lead producer that has co-producers at the table that aren't just there to write a check, but are there to bring um, depth of perspective or lived experience to the show as well. Yeah. And on that note, in commercial theater, are there ever creative producers that don't financially contribute to the production the way that there is in nonprofit theater and in film? Or if you're a producer, any sort of producer, I just want to make sure I'm understanding properly. If you're any sort of producer on a Broadway show, is there some level of financial contribution? Generally, yes, there is. Okay. And and if there is a different type of setup, that's usually private and within the lead producer and whatever co-producer there is, you know, there's specific deals for celebrity co-producers at times or people that have a large um, network of, you know, that that is that could equate to a financial um, investment. You know, there there are ways that lead producers can work out specific deals with their co-producers or investors. But most of the time, it's all about the money. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, um, like you say, you, you follow the money. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I think the way that I'm interested in lead producing is, not operating from that place of uh, finance first, um, but but thinking about uh, thinking about resource and thinking about you know is this person bringing resources that will better the production financially or through their personal or lived experience? You know, I think we have to uh, think about alternative ways that people can have a stake in a production. And so, you know, I, it's a question I have every day that I haven't quite cracked the code for, but I, I do feel like, you know, as the only way you learn to produce is by producing. And so the more that I produce, the more I'm going to just continue to investigate the answer to that question. It's, you know, what does it mean for someone to have a stake in a production? That seems to be a cool theme that's coming up in our conversation. This kind of just like saying yes and rolling with it and figuring it out as you go, which is, it's just great. It's, it's very like heartening to hear that, that that's just kind of translates to all parts of the industry, like from artist to director to producer. Um, and I'm also curious, actually. So like, it's, it's really cool also to have this transparency. I feel like a lot of times we, we just don't know. Usually artists have no idea like what is going on kind of, I hate to call it a hierarchy, but mm-hmm. the kind of the way it still feels a bit, it's like, there's like those higher up producers up there that like artists are kind of the last people brought into the process. So I'm curious about this, the producers who bring resources, do co-producers, do all of them kind of like if they have ideas about a project, do they have access to communicate to lead producers and express those ideas? Or are there certain like boundaries put in place? They're like, no, like actually we, we don't need any more input. We <laughs> like, how does that work with so many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah. You know, That's usually, yeah. Amazing question. And it's one of those, uh, case-to-case questions, unfortunately, because each, like I said, each show is its own entity. It's its own mini startup. So it the culture of that production is set at, at the discretion of the lead producer. So there's typically, um, there's typically, you know, 
bi-weekly or monthly or or weekly depending on the lead producer uh they have uh you know weekly marketing meetings that the co-producers can join so you know as of as of now and and with my experience um as a producer on broadway you know the biggest touch point a co-producer gets is you know going to first rehearsal meet and greet going to opening night um seeing a final dress rehearsal if that happens and going to the marketing the weekly marketing meetings and so that's that's the opportunity where the co-producer can you know share their ideas if that's the uh space if that's the space the lead producer sets to offer suggestion um so it it is really case to case but generally those marketing meetings are the sweet spot for a co-producer to speak up and um does that mean that the lead producer has to listen to said co-producer's ideas? Uh, unfortunately, no, because like I said, the, the lead producer general partner are the ones that sign the checks. They are the ones that make the, the final call. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. And which is why I say like, you know, when I build out my co-producers, you know, I'm not just looking for those that can write checks because I want to be able to be in those marketing meetings with brilliant minds who can bring, ideas that I don't think of or that my partners don't think of. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's the only way to build these productions authentically. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, It was reminding me of a conversation we actually had with Erica Hart, who was our guest last week, who was a casting director. And she was talking about this idea of, yeah, it's, it's, it really is a team that you're working mm-hmm. with and like mm-hmm. you know right away if you're like this person's going to be cool to work with or this person's going to be not cool to work with <laughs> and you don't want to like even if it's just like oh this is maybe like a a short-term production like it's gonna be hell if you're working with people who are not cool so <laughs> exactly i like to call them artistic love languages it's like this person <laughs> just like we just don't have the same artistic love language and that's totally fine I don't want to give them bad energy, but that that energy just does not want to be around my production. So, yeah. so it's like just like acknowledging, like, oh, well, we just don't communicate the same way. Yep. You know. Yep. yep. And just like, yeah, not not worth yeah. starting something that might, yeah, yeah. Be, be bad down the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So wait. So we you there's just so much to talk about like so much (laughs) like Alyssa and I when we were researching this week we were like oh my gosh like he does so much it's unreal um so we haven't talked at all about your specific production company p3 um which was recently formed yeah yes we actually just announced this past week so we announced officially yes but we had been working together for a few years um and this is with my partners ben holtzman and fiona how rudin and ben holtzman and i were actually college freshman roommates together at syracuse university oh my so when i say like a lot of my life circles syracuse university folks it's like it's amazing because i you know i I applied to a bunch of schools on the East Coast, being a West Coast kid, not really knowing anything about, like I did my research in terms of the musical theater program, but I didn't think about, you know, what it was would be like to like go to school actually on the East Coast and dealing with winter, which I never thought of before. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and, I heard that. and specifically Syracuse. And so, you know, yes. the fact that Ben was, you know, my college roommate, he was with me when I saw snow for the first time. He was with me when I had, we made our first little trip down to um, New York City for a long weekend of our freshman year. So just being able to build P3 with Ben is like a dream come true that we, you know, jokingly talked about in our freshman dorm room before we even thought that we would actually be produce- producers, you know? Wow. So, so, cool. so, um, and then we actually met Fiona through um, one of our productions, Gun and Powder, that we did a world premiere production of at the Signature Theater in DC in uh, February of 2020. And we actually closed two weeks before the shutdown. So we were able to, wow. we were able to get our production in. Um, wow. But while we were in DC, the 
the magic that Ben, Fiona, and I created in terms of our communication style and, like, I speak about, like, artistic love languages is, like, Ben, Fiona, and I have, like, very, very much, we have complementary, is that the right way to say it? Our love languages complement each other is what I mean. You know, it's, love like, it. the, and so, um, you know, P3 stands for the power of three. And so, Aww. you know, it was kind of like jokingly in our text thread that we have. It's like anytime something great happened or something difficult happened or we answered something that to an agent negotiation and we were like really uh, just like in sync with each other, we would always jokingly text like power of three. And so we, while we were trying to figure out like, well, what do we name our company? Like, um you know, it turned out that this like inside joke was actually like, oh, this is actually the core of our relationship. And um, and so we made it our company name. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so it's it's been great. And, and with Ben and Fiona specifically, like I said, we are artistically aligned in so many ways. Um, Fiona is also the chair of the board at the New Victory Theater, which, uh, you know, creates a lot of um, amazing opportunity for young audiences to be exposed to theater for the first time. And so um, beyond our commercial theater productions, um, I'm now on the board of the new victory. And so my TYA um, connection just is, you know, we, we share a lot of that and um, it's been all in all a a really exciting uh, launch of our company. And we have another production called how to dance in Ohio, which is, an adaptation of a documentary by Alexandra Shiva of the same title. And um, we're premiering that in September at Syracuse stage. And so we're excited to just continue to see our shows kind of come together, especially after um, two years of really just talking about our shows. It's exciting to go to rehearsal rooms and, and see our shows come, come to life. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, very excited to just you know stay true to our mission of of how do we build shows um with artists that we believe in you know it's um i think it's very easy for producers to piece shows together within individuals for commercial sake you know at lack of a better word it's like you know they want this star with this star and boom that'll make a lot of money it's like we want to approach our work from a place of like well, this is an artist we've invested five years of our life with. Like we want, we want to see them succeed. You know, if our artists succeed, then our company succeeds. And so mm. it's really um, baked into the core of what we want to do. Yes. That's absolutely amazing. And I think it's so cool that in your career, you're able to kind of balance that commercial theater life with this more, I don't know what you would call it, not commercial (laughs) theater. It's so cool that you're getting to have this other creative outlet that's really more about the artists that you want to celebrate and getting to do work that is always going to be artistically fulfilling, which Mm. I feel that in commercial theater, while for you it sounds like you're really fulfilled, I think sometimes, you know, probably – you're not able to be, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're probably just not able to be as hands-on in the creative process or the decision-making as you might like to be just because of how many people are involved. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It, it feels like in commercial theater uh, specifically, it, it feels like it's hard for artists to feel like they have agency in any room that they step into. And a lot of my personal producing philosophy is like, how do I how do I actually build my companies so that my artists are protected from me as a producer? You know, it's like how how do we build transparent conversations into our workflow? Um, onboarding, you know, we don't really talk about onboarding our artists. You know, what happens if we get into a room where there are specific access needs? Well, historically, those access needs have never had an artists never had the opportunity to share their access needs prior to first rehearsal. And then by the time you get into the room to, to communicate that it's already too late because there's already been months of prep to get to that day. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's really thinking intentionally of, of how we build these shows from literally the ground up and 
um, like I said, there's always blind spots, but as long as we're like trying to not just see our artists as, you know, chess pieces on a board, but at, that they have agency to speak up in, in these rooms. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we don't know unless it's brought to our attention. So I just want to build rooms where people feel like they can bring it to our attention. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. And so inspiring. And the thing I think that keeps coming up for me, what I appreciate about you and why you would be such a dream person to work with, honestly, (laughs) is that you just walk the walk. Like you have your ideas, you have your values, you have the things that are important to you. And then you're actually going out into the world and creating spaces where these things can exist and where you can bring other people in and improve their lives because you are putting these things into the world. That's I don't know if I said that well, but I think you understand what I mean. And I think that is so cool. Thank you so much. And I, I'm going to be honest, like it's hard, especially in this industry, especially in commercial theater. Like, like you said, like there's, it, it does feel like these machines like operate at a mile a minute. And by the time we're like, Oh wait, but I have this need, like the train's gone. And so it's <laughs> like, so it's hard. And especially as a, newer producer in this industry and a young producer in this industry there's the optics of still feeling like I need to prove myself mm-hmm. and the, the optics of you can't be in this room yet you haven't earned your space in this room yet and it's the the second I let go of of those demons on my shoulder or those you know those words of uh, of a non-productive um, kind of a little voice in the back of my head. Um, you know, that, that's really helped me step through, especially as the industry has jolted back. It, it's helped me, um, step through to this new phase of my mindset as a producer of like, no, like the folks that want to work with me are going to want to work with me. And those that don't aren't. And I'm, it's just, we have to be, curious as theater makers but also be protective of ourselves and Mm -hmm. so um you know it's it's weird if you asked me in 2019 you know some of these questions I I was in a totally different place than I was and I was in a totally different um uh uh I had a totally different point of view of the industry and Mm -hmm. you know even with the name of your podcast, like it's like I I am choosing to see this industry with the glass half full because I've spent two and a half years of dreaming and now I'm ready to activate. And you know, so it's um, you know, I I would say like it's easy to see this industry with glass half empty because it's hard and it's like it's um, demoralizing at times. It makes you question your worth. It makes you question if you belong. It makes you question, you know, it does this person like me, you know, all the way down, like, and it's so ridiculous. So it's like, you know, it, and it, you know, I think, um, I, I like to use the word manifest, but, also acknowledging, I, I saw this quote once that like manifesting is not magic. Um, you have to take action on what you manifest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, like I, I love anything that's like mythical or like magical. So I'm, I still like to think of, I'm like manifesting the um, industry that I want to participate in. And even if it's like 1% better each day, it's at least it's 1% better than, you know, feeling like it's looking at it from that macro perspective that feels overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Wow. This, oh my goodness. So, so relatable. Like this, this imposter syndrome, I think this has come up a lot in our conversations on this podcast too. Like no matter what level of success you're at in this industry, that's just a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not yeah, worthy enough or good enough or further along enough. Um, so I'm so glad I'm so glad you mentioned that. And like, thank you for being so honest and open about that. Um, it is, it is a real, a real thing that just like inevitable, no matter, no matter what you can be in like the highest point of your career and that can still seep in for real. Um, mm-hmm. and there was something else you said. Oh, 
I think, yeah, something that just kind of strikes me too is like, it reminds me how important it is to have people that you love and who love you and that supportive team. Like, I feel like between like the three of you and P3, even if, even if it feels like, oh no, like, what are we doing? Like the support of three people kind of balancing that out. Um, it's just so crucial. It's so, I, I have a good feeling that (laughs) this, this, um, as lead producers, you guys are going to go far. Thank you. Thanks. And you know, there is something to be said about like multiple leaders at the, at the top of a production, which I, and I hate that I just said at the top of the production because I don't see it as a hierarchy like that, but it's ingrained in our heads, right? It's yeah. ingrained in oh, the system. The top, the top of the playbill, if you will. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, um, but we, you know, we actively practice like decentralized leadership, like, uh, you know, mm. building in like we play to our strengths and in certain, in certain meetings, Ben's going to fly and you know take the lead but in other meetings I'm gonna fly and take the lead or or in other meetings Fiona will and knowing that and acknowledging that while also offering space for you know actually I really want to work on this part of my producing skills like let me take a little bit more of the lead today and so we're very open of that too and I think um you know, decentralized leadership is something that we're also practicing with the industry standard group. And as you can imagine, like creating a group with eight co-founders is in- crazy sometimes <laughs> because it's like, how do we get these eight very different opinions to, you know, come together? And um, one of our uh, uh, co-founding members of TISG, uh, she's brought uh, to the table, this idea of, you know, how do we bring consensus building practices to our day to day? So, you know, it's mm-hmm. that over communication. It's like saying like, for the next two weeks, I've got a big project happening in my personal life. So I'm going to take a tiny step back and then someone else like takes a tiny step forward. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's not feeling like the weight is just on a singular shoulder. Right. And so, right. um, so I think it's, that's been helpful too. And I don't think it's talked about often in our industry because people like to be the lead producer. They like Mm -hmm. to be like the single person that changes it all. And I'm, I'm like, no, I need other people to get, get stuff done. Like I'm, you know, there's power in numbers, right? Totally. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. Alyssa, that reminds me a little bit of us two in this podcast. Like as you were talking, I was like, yeah, the power of that a friendship and like people who know, just know you so well, who get like, oh, okay, uh, you're a little hungover today. Like I'm going to step up and uh, send you. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> Maybe exactly. bad example. Maybe we'll cut the hungover part, but you know how it goes. it has happened. It has happened. <laughs> Honestly, it's, but it's that, yeah, like I, I always say like producing is is like what's the point of producing if there's no fun or joy in the process and and take the word producing out of that statement and I like to insert any anything that I'm doing that day it's like if it's not fun like do I really like we were just stuck in our homes for like two and a half years like if I'm going out and making like uh, taking the energy to go out of the house. Like I at least want to have fun. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So also, so yeah, someone, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the producer who told this to me. Um, uh, but she, she framed producing as like the types of work that she wants to make is like, I want to make work that inspires people to put their pants on. Like that inspires people to like wanna yes. wanna put your pants on and go outside. <laughs> you know what? I love that because you're so right. The worst thing is when you go out and you see something and you're like, Yeah, I really wish I just stayed home and watched Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so that is a real that is I think that's really inspiring and wonderful. I wanna create work that inspires people to put their pants on and make them happy they put their pants on. That's that's great. Yeah. And I just I'm remembered who that. said that. It's Mary Kate Burke, who is this incredible artistic director of a theater company in uh, at Cape Fear. And so she she was the one that was like, yeah, like 
because we were specifically talking about audience building and like how regional theaters are having a hard time like rebuilding their subscriber base and mm-hmm. you know because you know now people are subscribed to 7000 streaming services yeah. and so it's like so it's thinking about like how how do we frame these shows so that it's worthy of your time to you know to sit on your couch turn on your apple tv and hit go is like maybe there's three steps in there whereas to go see a show um in a theater it's like you have to you know go on the website you have to look at their covid protocol you have to you know get in a car or on the train to get to the theater you like there's so many steps that i think we never really thought of as um barriers to get people into the theater but now people bring that into their decision of like am i going to see theater tonight well i have to do all this stuff to get there so it's it's just being it's just being intentional it's like as long as our shows are worthy of it then that's all that we can do as producers that's right yeah that was something that struck me too as you were describing all the projects you're working on it's like the work at the end of the day speaks for itself right if like the quality of the work is good and moving and people are inspired to think and talk afterward like that's that's when you know you're like oh yeah i am worthy to be in this room right like i am Mm -hmm. worthy to be here we did we're doing the job and we're we're doing it the way we want to do it you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's it's really easy to let those negative thoughts seep in and so it's like my biggest um like task as a as a producer myself is calling just naming it it's like not judging it but just naming the feeling of you know whenever I do feel self-conscious or not worthy I'm like I'm feeling this <laughs> and and just the like acknowledgement and hopefully yeah. hopefully that just kind of um that kind of inspires beyond you know internal because I think language matters. And I think I mentioned this earlier, you know, how a lot of my work, the way that I see it all connecting is through the power of language and the power of words. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, the way that we speak to others is really important, but also the way that we speak to ourselves is just as important. Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. Well, this has been so wonderful. And so inspiring. And you said so many beautiful, inspiring things that I just want to bring forward into the rest of my days. So thank you so much for chatting with us today, Sammy. Yes, thank you. This has been a blast. You know, I um, I just feel like the whenever I get a chance to talk about theater and specifically like commercial theater, which feels so like not fun to talk about, it like really brings me joy when I get to talk about it with other people who are like-minded and just um, also equally making space for others in this crazy world. And so thank you for having me. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's clear from this conversation, your passion comes through and like people can't see video of this conversation, but like, I just have to say your smile, like through a FaceTime camera, <laughs> like lights up a room and it's just so it's so wonderful really everything Alyssa said too it's really brightened up uh the day and just so many wonderful things to to keep thinking about so thank you so much yes thank you and uh I look forward to uh seeing you in person one day (laughs) yes thank you so much for listening we always love hearing from you You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.